Hi, and welcome back to Ghosties. I'm Macy. And I'm Natalie. And today we're going to be talking about another real-life haunting turned movie, The Amityville Horror. Whoa! I actually really like this movie. Yeah, it's it's extremely popular, and for good reason, I think. And it's got Ryan, a cult following. Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. The second in the remake. That's all I need to know. True. True. I mean, I'm on board with that. The Amityville Horror was originally a book written about the Lutz family's experience and encounters in the house, supposedly haunted by something just so dark and demonic that it led the previous family's eldest son to commit a mass murder of his entire family. And beyond the book, there were at least 28 other movies and documentaries. 28? Extensive coverage. Yeah. And not necessarily about the haunting, about leading up to the haunting, everything. Like the crime? Yeah. Okay. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. But I, for this one, I watched the 1979 film for the first time. Pretty intense. Understand why there is a cult following. It was weird, but good. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I think I've seen that once. And then I've seen, I've definitely seen the, what is it, like 2005 or something. Mm-hmm. I've seen that version several times. Yeah, I've seen that one a couple times. And then this one was the, was the first time I watched it. But there's so much controversy around this particular house stemming from the making of this book. Uh, and even before, but but especially from the book. I just want to warn you, there's no way I could have co- possibly gotten everything into this. It would have been days long. You could make an entire yeah, 28 podcast. 28 things yeah. written about it. And like, that's that's so much. You can, and, and that's just film and, and documentary. That's that's not including articles and books and other media. It, it is extensive. There's, there's just too much. We couldn't get everything. No. I tried to get what I thought was pertinent to the discussion for the day, but... Mm-hmm. Sorry if there are some diehard people out there about this and I didn't get everything in. I did my best to sum it up and and, and just give the most relevant information. But the tea we're going to be drinking today is called Jade Oolong. I'm excited. Me it smells too. good. And our cute little mugs. Oh, yeah. Our cute mugs. little Target mugs. Target. I love them. Ready? I am. Let's go. really like that one yeah it was it was light it is nice that's something i would drink every day that's not just like a like a try it one time type of tea i really like that one i agree i agree it had a weird smell though at first when i smelled it i thought i was smelling your breath i was gonna be like stop breathing but it was just the tea i don't know what it was it was that first little like scent that i got it smelled like bad breath and i was like yeah but it tastes good it doesn't smell like that i don't know what that was like bad breath (laughs) no it (laughs) It tastes good it tastes nice and it's even better in those mugs. I love them. I know. Everything's better in those little ghost mugs. They're so cute. Yeah, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you should be on YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> let's jump in. So as we mentioned before, the movies are based on a book written in 1977 by Jay Anson, detailing the experiences of the Lutz family who moved into a house on Long Island after the tragic murders of six people. There were two movies made trying to follow the details of the book, one in 1979 and then the Ryan Reynolds one in 2005 both pretty good both different from each other but along the same vein so just a quick overview of the movie i I say quick but the movie was long so we'll get into it basically the movie starts with the murders of the defeo family by their son and brother ronald defeo jr he shot all of them while they were laying in their beds around 3 a.m with no apparent motive a year later george and kathy lutz newly married by the defeo house they know about the murders and seem to be the only ones willing to move in Side note, Kathy mentions in the movie, she's like, oh my gosh, it's, but it's $80,000. Yeah. 
nearly fell out. Like, <laughs> girl, that's a steal. That yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Mm. Even then, it was a steal. That that is three hundred thirty-seven thousand today's dollars. Yeah, but, but I don't this, care how much a house is. I don't care if anybody, even if it was like a old age passing, if someone died there, I'm I don't want to live there. I don't care. That's scary. Mm, depends. And just dark. I don't so, like that. Well, this was dark. that one. I don't dark. know. This one especially, I'd have to do a lot of thinking. My thinking is a lot. I would already know. <laughs> as soon as the couple and Kathy's three young children move in, they immediately begin to experience strange occurrences. They have a priest come in to bless the house, and he's unable to even begin his prayers. He becomes surrounded by flies, and it seems as if there's a foul smell making him just violently ill. And a disembodied voice screams, get out, and the priest kind of flees and is unable to breathe. <laughs> and, and it just has a lot of trouble. The priest, who's named Father Delaney in the movie, attempts to call the Lutz family, but there's only static on the line when he tries to speak, and something so strong interferes with the phones that Delaney ends up burning his hands. He has, like, blisters on his hands, and he comes down with, like, an extremely bad illness. And he's basically unable to revisit the house ever again. Oh, my God. He tries to get approval for an exorcism for the home, but everyone just thinks he's having a mental breakdown and tells him to take a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was so sad. That is sad. <laughs> George Lutz begins experiencing flu-like symptoms too. Uh, he feels cold and seems a little off. He hears disembodied whispering through the house and thinks he hears someone in the boathouse. He begins to become a little more aggressive and scary to his family mm. almost immediately. Kathy begins to have nightmares about the DeFeo murders. She screams awake at 3 o'clock in the morning and her youngest daughter, Amy, starts talking to an imaginary friend. Oh named Jody. Jody tells Amy about the little boy who died in her room and she says that Jody wants her to live for live there forever so they can play together. Mm -mm. Ominous. George is constantly chopping wood for some reason. He's just like <laughs> always outside chopping wood. Just angry and making more logs for the fire to, com to combat the constant chills that he has while in the house. One of the sons had his hand squished in the window. It wouldn't open back up. Which that was probably the worst part of the movie for me because it was just so... Like me that one time, I rolled my head up in mom's car window. <laughs> Were you there? I forgot about that. I was in the car. <laughs> and nobody would help me. I didn't know what I to was, do. I had my head hanging out the window going, ah! And y'all were just watching. I literally didn't know what to do. Mom came <laughs> rushing over. She saved the day. It's okay. <laughs> but basically, after this incident, uh, Kathy begins to feel like something's very wrong. The front door is suddenly blown open in the middle of the night. Cops show up and they realize that the basement door was blown open too. Both doors seemingly broken from the inside. Mm. So the cops are like, mm, I don't know about that. The dog goes down to the basement. No. And no, the dog lives. Oh. Everyone, it's okay. The dog goes down in the basement and starts growling and scratching his basement wall. Kathy catches a glimpse of Jody, the imaginary friend, through the window and is absolutely terrified because it looks like a pig demon with <gasps> glowing red eyes. I know. It's funny, but not. Like... When I think about it, it's like, what? A pig? But, like, if I saw a pig demon with glowing red eyes in my upstairs window, I think I would probably die on the spot. At first, my reaction was like, oh, that's scary. But then I was like, that's going to be my new insult, you pig demon. That's so funny. That's so funny. That's good. <laughs> George starts to do some research and ends up talking to some friends and, t and learns that John Ketchum who was run out of Salem for being a witch, fled to Amityville and built his house on the land of the current house. And supposedly before that, a tribe of Native Americans used the land as an exposure pen where they put all the crazy people and basically left them out to die. Uh -huh. 
The friend says, it is a place where devil worship, death, sacrifice have all occurred. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. So George and friends go back to their house and down in the basement. The dog is still scratching and they break down the wall and find a red painted room with a strange energy. Their friend goes into a trance and the voice of Father Delaney comes through her saying, find the well is the passage to hell. Cover it. (gasps) Father Delaney actually ends up going blind spontaneously while he's like giving a sermon. And it's supposedly the demons doing as punishment for him trying to help Lot's family anyway. Oh my God. So we finally arrive to the family's final day at the house on Ocean Avenue and George is sharpening his axe again. And Kathy returns home to find George walking around the property with his axe in hand. He starts screaming and looking for Amy. A blood-like substance starts seeping from the walls and the kids are hiding in the bathroom. He starts axing it down. Kathy attacks him from behind. George brings down the axe on her, missing her, and they decide now is the time. They have to leave. The floors start exploding, windows breaking. The entire house is just seeping blood the family's screaming running out of the house to their car then amy realizes that the dog was still in the (gasps) house so kathy's yelling for george to go he drives down the driveway and jumps out of the car runs into the house to rescue harry the dog he ends up finding harry down in the basement but falls into a like a vat of black liquid into the basement climbs out with the help of harry the dog Mm. and carries him out of the house to the car as they all drive away oh my gosh so aside from a few dramatic bits <laughs> a few <laughs> a few creative liberties the movie mostly follows the book which is supposed to be the telling of the let's family story hmm. like the true story does it say like it says a true story okay and that's where some of the controversy because it doesn't say based on it says a true story it says a true story hmm yes now what really happened so there are facts there are testimonies of people but there are also some untruths and we'll we'll get into that but here's what we know the house that we see in the movies is not the actual home in amityville instead they use a house in new jersey in the 1979 movie and then they use the exterior of a home in wisconsin for the 2005 remake according to the amityville historical society the land containing the actual amityville horror house used to be farmland that belonged to one of the most influential families in the in amityville the ireland's There's even a street still in that town today named after the family. In 1924, Anne Ireland sold the property to John and Catherine Moynihan, who constructed the large Dutch colonial house that we all know today. When they passed, it was inherited by their daughter, who lived there until 1960, when she sold it to John and Mary Riley. After their divorce, it was sold once more to the DeFeos in 1965, which is where the Amityville horror story begins. So the DeFeo family consisted of Ronald and Louise DeFeo and their five children. They moved from Brooklyn to Amityville after Louise's father purchased the house on 112 Ocean Avenue for them and their kids. Ronald DeFeo Sr. was a manager at his father-in-law's Buick dealership and seemed to make a fairly good living. On the outside, the family appeared normal and happy, though just like a lot of households in America, the family may have been hiding some dark secrets. Ronnie Sr. was allegedly an abusive father and husband. Before the house? Probably before the house and and during, for Hmm. sure. Well, yeah. But he was especially abusive to his oldest son, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. Withstanding his father's abuse and his mother's lack of protection for him, he was definitely a troubled teen, and that bled into his early adult years. He became addicted to drugs, and though he worked at the dealership with his father, it was mostly because he couldn't hold down a job anywhere else, if he'd even show up at all. He lived with his parents and four siblings, 
but seemed to always be in some kind of trouble. He would lash out at his father, and he even threatened him with a gun on at least one other occasion. So on the night of November 13, 1974, at around 6 p.m., 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. rushed into a bar he frequented near his home asking for help. He claimed his parents had been shot. Several patrons followed him to his house where they found not only his mother Louise and father Ronald Sr. shot dead lying face down in their beds, but also his 18-year-old sister Dawn, 13-year-old sister Allison, 12-year-old brother Mark, and 9-year-old brother John Matthew. All of them also shot to death while lying face down sleeping in their beds with no signs of struggle. Butch claimed that he wasn't home during the shooting, then said that his family was targeted by the mob and a hitman named Louis Fellini carried out the murders. The police took him into custody, at first for protection, but soon realized that there was no truth to his initial story. Eventually, Ronald DeFeo Jr. admitted to the mass murder of his entire family. So he was conscious. He knew that he did it. Mm -hmm. His trial began on October 14, 1975 and lasted seven weeks. DeFeo Jr.'s attorney, William Weber, started his defense trying to enter an insanity plea. He claimed that DeFeo Jr. killed his family in self-defense after hearing voices telling him that his family was plotting to have him killed, believing the only way to save his own life was to take out the lives of his family. The prosecution, however, using their own psychological expert, proved that DeFeo Jr. was in his right mind. Though exhibiting antisocial personality traits, he knew the crime he committed was wrong. And so their story goes like this. At around 3 a.m. the morning of the 13th, Butch took a 35-gauge rifle and walked from room to room, systematically wiping out his entire family while they lay silently sleeping. He then bathed, redressed, discarded any incriminating evidence into a storm drain, and went to work as usual. He called and called his home all day, often complaining to those around him that nobody was answering the phone. Mm -hmm. Then he ran into the bar that night calling for help to throw off suspicions that he was the one that actually committed the crime. The prosecution argued that he was a mere drug addict who committed this vile act in order to obtain the full inheritance from his family, not having to split it with his siblings if he got them out of the way too. The jury came back with a guilty verdict on all six counts of second-degree murder. He was given six concurrent sentences of 25 to life for each of the murders and remained in prison, denied parole, until he died at the age of 69 in March of 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah, so fairly recent. Yeah, that's so sad. Very, very horrible. But but hearing everything, I don't know what you're about to tell me. If there's going to be a, like a twist that's going to make me like change my mind. What does the haunting have to do with it? Like the, what the prosecution said, it's like, yeah. And from the history of him, like, you know, not having the best home life, mm -hmm. like it just kind of seems like he snapped. Yeah. And I don't know. He's an interesting guy and he, he kind of just lied his entire life. Yeah. So we'll never really know, but... But I, I don't know. It, that's why there's a lot of controversy in it. Because, the, I mean, obviously there was this horrible, horrible crime. This yeah. horrible tragedy for this family. And some say that it was kind of a travesty to try and profit off of this. Using it kind of as your, your backboard to go into making your own money. And, and Yeah. But I don't know. You'll, we'll kind of get into it. Okay. I have my opinions. We can talk about it at the end, though. Okay. I'm interested to hear more. Because hearing that, just based off that, like, I feel like, Almost every crime that you hear committed, like murder, anything crazy, the first thing is like, oh, insanity. Mm -hmm. He was not in his right mind. And it's like, mm, that's not always the case. It is sometimes, yeah. but everybody tries that, I feel like. Every every guilty person tries that. Yeah. 
So until the day he died, he changed the story of the murders constantly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes saying that his sister Dawn actually committed most of the murders and that he killed her after seeing what she had done. Even at one point saying that his mother killed all the children after he killed his father. There are some people who do not believe he could have acted alone and question how nobody inside or outside of the house, for that matter, heard the gunshots. Yeah, nobody stirring awake uh, when the and the silencer was not used. But yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, that's there, crazy. There was no silencer used. Nobody woke up. We'll never know the true story. Yeah, true. So on to the Lutz family. Thirteen months after the horrific murders of the DeFeo family, on December eighteenth of nineteen seventy-five, newlyweds Kathy and George Lutz bought and moved into the Amityville home with Kathy's three children from a previous marriage, Danny, Christopher, and Missy. This is real life, right? This is real life. So did they just base the the movie, like, Kathy, Kathy, he just named it It straight after her? Oh, yeah, because the book is basically a retelling of their events. The movie is a theatrical production of the book. Okay. So they just just used her real name. They didn't try to get creative. Okay, got it. It just confused me for a second, and I wanted to clarify. Yeah, let's clarify. The first part, we talked about the movie, and those yes. were the events of the movie. This is what supposedly really happened. The what, To the Lutz family. To the Lutz family. This okay. is supposedly what really happened, the haunting. This that is where the haunting comes in. Based off of the movie and everything. Oh, yes. Okay. Got this it. This is where the haunting comes in. This is essentially... The story after the murders. The story after life. the murders in real life. This is... That's what I said. This is where the book and movies begin. They did buy the house for 80K, and according to an interview Christopher did later on... They were able to put a substantial down payment from the sales of George and Kathy's previously previous homes. It was still a pretty big mortgage, and apparently the family really did have some financial trouble, but it's unclear how difficult times really were for them. They spent an additional $400 to keep some of the appliances and furniture that was left there after the murders. Yeah, big red not, flag. Not only are they moving into the murder house, they're like, mm, we'll just keep the beds too. Yeah. What? Not all the beds. But you know what I mean. Yes. We'll keep the couch. Like, anything. I'm not keeping anything. First, I wouldn't move in. We already established that. But I wouldn't keep anything. That's so crazy to me. But I guess some people just aren't superstitious. They just see like, oh, life happens. So I couldn't see that, but... We'll get into that. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) There's something more there. Soon after they bought the house, they asked... They really did ask a priest to come and bless the home. Kathy was Catholic, and it's actually fairly common to for people... Catholics to have priests come and bless their new homes. Oh, yeah, I knew that. But they especially wanted this after the horrible things that happened there. Duh. In the book, he was called Father Mancuso, but it was later revealed that the actual priest's name was Father Ralph Pecoraro. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> the priest is said to have actually heard a voice telling him to get out while he walked around performing the blessing. He felt a physical slap on his face <gasps> by a malevolent spirit, and he had car trouble on his way home. He did develop a flu that, among other things, really did keep him away from the Lutz family from Mm. that day on. He tried to warn George and Kathy to stay out of the specific room upstairs that they had planned to turn into a sewing room because the room somehow felt really dark to him. The family almost immediately began to experience their own encounters that they just could not explain. They could hear scratching noises and footsteps from random and even unoccupied parts of the house. Cabinet doors opening and closing on their own, a knife being knocked over in the kitchen... Mm. All typical haunted house things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a couple of cold spots everywhere. And even with it being the middle of winter in Northeast, so pretty cold, George just could not warm up. No Mm -hmm. matter how long he kept the fires burning, what the thermostat said. I don't know if he was actually literally chopping wood the whole time, though. (laughs) I don't think that's actually true. He said there were odors in the house that came and went. 
There were sounds. The front door would slam shut in the middle of the night. I couldn't get warm in the house for many days. Kathy's brother and his new wife came to stay at their house after their honeymoon, and her new sister-in-law woke screaming in the middle of the night. They were sleeping in little Missy's room, and she woke up to a young boy sitting at the end of her bed staring at her. Oh my god. After only a few days of living in their new home, George could hear voices whispering through the house, and he began waking every single night around 3.15 a.m. It's always 3 a.m. Well, this is the time of the murders, too. (gasps) Or the suspected time of the murders. Hearing knocks at the front door and strange sounds from outside around their boathouse and garage. Doors would always open and swing shut, though he swore he had secured them before heading to bed that night. Whether it was from the constant wakings at night or the feeling of unease that the house brought to the back of everyone's minds, George was beginning to act more and more aggressive and just really snappy with with Kathy and the kids, just like in the movie. He stopped keeping up with his appearance and was just overall not himself. Mm -hmm. Like, stop shaving, stop showering, just sick and and angry and chopping chopping some firewood (laughs) it kind of seemed to me and i made a note of this kind of like when you're carrying around a horcrux in harry potter oh my god yeah (laughs) like they were just agitated yeah constantly agitated everyone Hmm. oh another side note i put in here as i was literally typing this paragraph about the the mood changes and everything my phone fell over somehow missing every other key but six shut up and it was just six six six, six shut six, six, six. up it was creepy it was the middle of the night and i was like i, I was all sh- alone i just backed spaced all of it and was just like took took a few deep breaths what is wrong with you why do these things happen to you i don't ask for them i oh, don't know god i don't particularly like them either oh my god after our little um personal stories episode which if you haven't listened to it you should listen to it it's very fun um and then everything that happens within your house with your child what Story for is another day. wrong with you oh my okay we gotta know. we gotta move on we gotta move on but we can talk about that some other time that i don't like i feel uneasy i'm sorry <laughs> get out of my house please don't hate me <laughs> get out of my house please still hang out with me Kathy often sat at their breakfast nook and would smell a perfume that would fill the entire kitchen as well as feel an embrace around her waist. (gasps) She says she didn't feel threatened, but almost comforted at first. Mm. That didn't last long, though, before the smell became stronger and suffocating and the touch tightened around her with a faint, unintelligible whispering Mm -hmm. kind of at the back of her mind. Towards the end of December, in the middle of the night, the family awoke to the front door and basement door really being blown open, hanging off by one hinge. Mm. The doorknob and lock assembly were broken from the inside. And while exploring the basement, Kathy really did uncover a hidden room where the walls were all painted red. <gasps> That's real? Yeah, it was real. I mean, it didn't have the creepy ambiance, well, but yeah, it was just but... that storage room in the basement mm. hidden behind a wall. Like, they had to remove panels. Don't like it. Creepy stuff. Arguably, though, the creepiest part of all of this is Missy's imaginary friend, Jody. That was real? That was real. Mm-hmm. Kids creep me out in general, so oh, yeah. this really struck a chord within me. Kathy could hear her humming a strange tune and talking with someone in her room while she played alone. She she kind of brushed it off thinking, oh, she has a little imaginary friend. It's about that time, whatever. And it took Kathy by surprise one day when Missy came to her asking, Mama, do angels talk? Her new friend named Jody told Missy that she was an angel, but it looked like a pig to her and really did want her to stay in the playroom forever. Stop. The rocking chair in her room would rock all on its own, and things began to get really frightening when George saw Missy standing in her bedroom window as he walked back to the house at night. And behind her, he could see an animalistic creature with glowing red eyes. He ran upstairs to check on her, and she was just laying face down in her bed asleep, undisturbed. 
the pig demon is the real. The pig demon was real. <gasps> I hate that. Yeah. That's really scary. I don't like it. Oh, I want to know what it looks like. But not really. There's actually a drawing and we can put it. <gasps> we can put it on our Instagram if you go follow us. Uh, we're going to post for every episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to have the pictures with it. There is a picture of her drawing it. I mean, it's a what's well, a kid, a but six-year-old still. rendering, but it's still yeah. Things in the house were just getting increasingly worse for everyone. Their irritability with one another was at an all-time high, and they were having strange dreams, sometimes nightmares at night. Some of their belongings would go missing around the house and show up in random places, and the family started having car trouble on top of all of that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just Anytime you're going through it, failure. the car is like, hmm, might been, as well been there, down too. been there. <laughs> George, already waking every night at the same time, began hearing sounds of people stomping around his house and distant music kept him awake, like a marching band playing through his living room. Toward the end of the family's stay at 112 Ocean Avenue, everything was becoming unbearable. There was a green slime supposedly oozing out of keyholes what? In, uh, in the doors, and the Lutz family could barely stand it anymore and reached out to parapsychologists to come and investigate their home. But they weren't able to get anything scheduled immediately like they really needed yeah on the night of january 13th 1976 the family reached their breaking point george woke again in the middle of the night to the sounds of the boy's bed slamming up and down but he couldn't do anything about it claiming an invisible force paralyzed him kathy levitated two feet above their (gasps) bed that night remaining asleep the entire time the presence of the darkness was just suffocating the following morning when the boys were finally able to leave their beds they claimed a dark entity tried to engulf them (gasps) the family was traumatized and could do nothing else but leave so the ooze was real. Supposedly. But it wasn't blood. Yeah, it was like a green ooze. That's... Ugh. Yeah. Supposedly. I don't know. Yeah, but... Ugh. Yeah, don't like it. On January 14th, terrified and exhausted, the family loaded into their car with nothing more than a couple changes of clothes and drove away from the house never to return. Good they lived them. in that house for only 28 days. Not even enough time to pay a single mortgage payment. Good for them. They left their clothes in the closets and food in their fridge and just got out of there. That's the best ending. That's the best decision. <laughs> Normally people are like, but this is our home. We'll make it our own. Yeah. I- Bravo. That's a pig demon's home. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. An article in Newsday covered the first press conference held by the Lutz family from William Weber's law office. So DeFeo Jr.'s attorney. Mm-hmm. This is an excerpt from that that article. They had left the house after only owning it for a month with just three changes of clothes apiece because of our concerns for our own personal safety as a family, said George. And that was about all he was willing to share for the present time. Lutz did say he would not spend another night in the house if asked to do so by researchers, but he also said he is not planning to sell the house right now. Shortly after their escape, the family moved across the country to California, getting as far as possible away from the malevolence that befell them in Amityville. 112 Ocean Avenue remained empty for seven months. The Lutz family did not want to sell it off to another family, and they didn't want someone else to suffer at the hands of the evil that they believed possessed the house. Some sources say that they sold the house several months later for significant loss, and others say that they it went into foreclosure. They ended up having intermediaries sell most of their remaining belongings at auction oh, wow. because they just did not they go back. They didn't want to go back. No. They got this, some of the special things out late, way later, but everything but else they were like... they were scared. Like, they were like, no. Yeah. Wow. Both George and Kathy eventually separated in 1988 and became pretty religious, more so than they were before. George converted to Catholicism because, according to him, his Catholic faith had made him strong enough to have handled the hauntings. They claimed that whatever was in the house followed them for the remainder of their lives. <gasps> so they weren't able to really escape. No, it latched on. Yeah. Oh, or that's something so did. scary. 
About a month after the Letts family fled their home on February 24th, they allowed paranormal investigators to explore the home to find any supernatural occurrences that they could. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who we've talked about, were among the investigators tasked with confirming or debunking the family's claims. They asked George and Kathy to walk through with them, but they absolutely refused. (laughs) The first time Lorraine entered the house, she immediately felt felt fearful, claiming the house is as close to hell as she ever hoped to be. Oh my God. Lorraine said, As I was going up the stairs, I reached the point where it felt as if a force of water was coming against my chest, almost like a waterfall. It was the worst feeling. I stopped on the landing and held tight to the relic that was in my hand and asked for strength and direction in going forward. It felt ominous to me. The next month, on March 6th, a local TV crew did a segment on the haunting, bringing in more ghost hunters and paranormal experts to accompany the Warrens on their investigation. It was like a psychic slumber party, (laughs) one uh, TV reporter said. I recall Lorraine didn't know whose room was what, but she walked into Ronnie DeFeo's bedroom, and I was behind her, and she stopped right at the door sill, and she backed out and says, I can't go into this room. There's just too much evil and too much oppression here. So she was obviously picking up on Ronnie's vibes. And I remember at a certain point on the stairs, the second floor landing, she also began to have a headache. It was reported that Ed was physically pushed into the floor after making contact with a spirit. <laughs> and Lorraine saw detailed visions of the Feo murders and felt a very dark, seemingly demonic presence. She could sense extreme sadness and depression in the oh. house. The team held two seances in the house, one in the sewing room at 3.15 a.m. and one in the basement. Here's the kicker. Oh. A photographer with the Warrens team, Gene Campbell, set up infrared cameras throughout the house to catch any activity that may pass by. They automatically take a photo if there's movement detected. On the second floor near the door to Missy's bedroom, an image was captured that looks like a young boy, Aww. though no children were in the home. Really compelling if you see yeah. the picture. That's another picture we'll post up. And a little creepy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The child, I haven't even seen it. The child looks a little bit like John Matthew DeFeo. Oh my gosh. And that's the boy that was sitting that's probably on... Her sister-in-law's bed. Yeah. But Lorraine said, yeah, it could have been the little DeFeo boy, but it also could have been a demonic entity that presented itself as a child. (sighs) Which, oh, that just made my skin, like, crawl. The worst. Mm -hmm. The worst. I think that's, like, probably the worst thing about, like, demons and stuff. I think we talked about this in our demonic possessions episode, is Mm -hmm. that they're, like, deceptive. Yeah. And they can be like, I'm just the little boy. And then pick eat your soul. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I, that, I think that's why I don't like kid things so mm-hmm. much is because, I mean, obviously sadness, but you're made what to if trust it's it. not. Yeah. It's, it's a very trusting thing. Like you're made to want to help it, believe it, mm-hmm. you know, nurture it. And it could be a pig demon. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, there was a lot of controversy and a lot of people claiming. This has to be a hoax. There's mm-hmm. no way that, that any of this is true. The 1977 book by Jay Anson documented the family's torturous hauntings and became a bestseller, selling over 10 million copies, wow. which led to the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. The Lutz family seems to be the only one, though, to report any kind of paranormal activity in the house. And the house became so popular, kind of like the Conjuring house, that the next owners changed the address. And there have even been lawsuits for privacy. Oh, yeah, I bet. All in the hopes of keeping stalkers away and all the commotion that comes with a story like this. Also, to help with the house's fluctuating value. Because (laughs) who wants to live in a haunted house? Yeah. The Cromarties, who were the subsequent owners of the home, complained not of spirits, but of being haunted by paranormal tourists and self-proclaimed witches. Mm. 
Sometimes they would curse the family, telling them that they would die. Others, they'd just show up drunk and looking for ghostly sightings. <laughs> but they were almost always odd people. Just weirdos. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anybody that would just show up at someone's house. Right? You're a weirdo. Right? That's Don't weird. do that. He said, I think one of the funniest things was when we woke up at three in the morning and heard this guy with a bugle horn playing <laughs> taps on the front lawn. I opened the window and applauded and said, kid, you've got a real good sense of humor. So Jay Anson used 45 hours of the family's recorded interviews as the basis for his novel. And some people believe he took those accounts and made a, a bit more interesting. Well, a telling of a true story. Writing a book, you would, of course, embellish a little. Yeah. One quote read, the best way to describe Jay Anson is a writer who didn't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so, there you I have like it. that. Obviously, the writers of the book and movies must have taken some creative liberties, like you said, some embellishments to make more money and get sales up because that's sad, but it's really sad. It's the way the world works. But in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily mean it can't be based in truth, like we said. No. And I, I, I will always look at things like with a little bit of skepticism. Mm -hmm. But whenever you said like the entity, the thing, the feeling followed them, I was like, oh, so it was in the house. And they just took it with them to California. And that's why the other family's just like, yeah, we're fine. Because it's with that Maybe. family. There are many people who believe that the entire story is just one big hoax, though. That's with everything, though. Exactly. The story was just a ploy to profit off of the popularity gained by the murders of the DeFeo family. And there may be some good reasons to consider this angle. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. For one, Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s defense attorney, William Weber claimed in 1979 that the story was one big lie that he, Kathy, and George made up over many bottles of wine. That George and Kathy had a major financial motive to concoct the story to combat their supposed crippling debt. The Letzis would share the story of unsettling things they felt and saw in the house, and Weber shared details about the DeFeo and the killings that only he knew. Mm. Just kind of a collaboration. Yeah. Weber claimed that several of these details were spun into the book and the movie. So, like... Weber says he told the Lutzes of a neighbor's cat that would peer into the windows at night. That becomes the red-eyed demon. A story of red sauce spaghetti being smacked out of Luis DeFeo's hand and onto the wall turned into mysterious goo oozing from the doors. Okay. He said, we took real-life incidents and transposed them. In other words, it was a hoax. But. Hmm. Even this statement made by Weber is a little suspicious after he was basically shafted from the immense success of the books and movies. Weber was initially supposed to be in on the book deal, but George Lutz cut him out. Okay. Some of Weber's portion of the deal would be going to Ronnie Jr., but George and Kathy stopped talking to him because the notion of DeFeo getting paid for murder, is what Mm -hmm. they said, was something that didn't sit well with either of them. Oh, and I agree. DeFeo also claimed after the publication of the book and even at the end of his life that it was all a hoax to make money, but not much of what this murderer says oh, say. can really be trusted we don't care what he said he spends a lot of crazy a lot stories of tales. yeah we don't care what he says george and kathy took a lie detector test to prove their innocence they were asked questions on the validity of the, their recountings of the experiences and they passed Ooh. i know you can't take much stock in lie no. detector tests not at but, all but i mean if they're not psychopaths both of them then it would be kind of hard to pass it because, you know, you're like you're, it doesn't, it like, I'm not an expert, but it like it, measures basically your, your nerves. Yes. It's like if you're nervous or not. And if yeah. you're answering questions, like that you get a baseline, you ask some questions yeah. to get the baseline. And if they have any like deviations from their baseline, basically. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's interesting though. Very interesting. 
Uh, see, I went back and forth this entire research. Mm-hmm. He said, our critics are people who've never been in the house, just people who read a book. Mm-hmm. No one who was ever in the house who investigated it ever called it a hoax. No one who helped us there with the auction, with getting stuff to the Salvation Army, ever called it a hoax. All I know is what happened to me. The children grew up, and though Missy never spoke out publicly about the events in Amityville, her brothers Daniel and Christopher both have done interviews discussing something that still weighs on their hearts and minds even after all those years. Danny reports that George was curious about the paranormal and other odd phenomena, even before they moved into the house, and George doesn't refute this. Oh. So, when they bought all the furniture, it wasn't just, oh, we don't believe in that. He definitely believed in something beforehand. Oh, that's even darker. Mm. He is said to have enjoyed seances and actively tried to summon spirits. Oh. Danny lives a quiet life in Queens, New York now, but he claims to still have nightmares about a house that ruined his life and blames George for all of it. Mm. Danny describes George as vain and domineering and says it was George's willingness to dabble in the occult that brought the haunting upon them. He said there were larger forces at work in that house calling them evil demonic spirits. Mm. He remembers some of the occurrences and how scared he and his family were in those 28 days as well as the hauntings that followed. Okay. So take with that what you will. Yeah. So so maybe there was something before, maybe not. Maybe it was just the like the crime that drew him there and then he was like, "Oh, I'm into this stuff already. I I'm a pretty weird dude." And so he was just like, "Oh, and brought all that cuz I believe you can do that." Yeah, you mm-hmm. can do that and there was already I do believe in like the energy in somewhere. And we can like get if, into that a little later. I have a spot for that. Okay, like if something happened, but like he might have, he might have dabbled a little too hard mm. and brought it on them. Yeah, maybe so. Believe that. Christopher also shares those sentiments with his brother. He confirmed the hauntings, though he says the events were exaggerated. Yeah, he was seven when he lived in that house, but in a 2005 interview, he said the events in the book were stretched to the point of fiction. Mm. There were claims made in the book and movie that just could not be proved as truth as well. The discoveries that the land were used by Shinnecock Native Americans could never be verified. In fact, it is said that the Shinnecock didn't settle anywhere near the home or its surrounding land and definitely didn't use it as any kind of enclosure pen for the insane and deviants. And I just do want to say on that, I feel like every time there's like any type it's of a thing, American burial ground. Yes, and I feel like yeah. that is problematic. I'm not one to talk about, you know, like because I, I don't know anything about what's, you know, the, what I'm saying. The land has been here a long time. I think everywhere is a burial ground. Yes, the, we're walking on dead all day. But I find it very kind of like problematic and weird that every time there's like a haunting or something, they're like, the Native Americans buried people here. And it's like, mm, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, Jan. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> also, the assertion that John Ketchum lived on the land and brought evil forces with his use of witchcraft seems to be a falsehood as well. Oh. In the late 1600s, the village of Amityville was a part of the Huntington Township, and a check with the Huntington Historical Society revealed that there were several John Ketchums in the area. But there is no definitive proof that any of them resided on or near the property. The descendants of the Ketchums were also able to determine through extensive genealogy research that there was no witchcraft witchcraft done by any John Ketchum, at least not on record. That they know of. He didn't flee from, from Salem, at least. Okay. That they know of. Yeah, but nobody's going to write down, I am a witch, whenever they're like, <laughs> Dear hunting, <diary>. yeah, <laughs> they're hunting you actively. You're not going to write it down on paper. Yeah. On parchment with your quill. <laughs> <laughs> so, to wrap it up, 
The thing that really gets me about the Lutz story was really highlighted by Lorraine Warren in a later interview. Mm. She said, They refused to ever return to the house. They left behind everything when they took off. A nice speedboat, three customized motorcycles, jewelry, all their kids' clothes, all their clothes, the kids' toys, televisions, a rare gun collection, rare coins, a photo album, and that had been in George's family for generations. Oh. Would they have taken the chance of leaving all that behind on the chance that there might be a bestseller? No. I unless, agree. unless they were in debt above their head and it was like a Hail Mary, like either we're going to prison or we're getting this book. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way I could see it. And if but that was the case, so, yeah. I feel like we would know and the people around town would know and everybody would know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they're they're broke. They, yeah, they're in it. Because if you I are agree. that broke and you're dealing with all that debt and stuff, you're going to sell the boat. You're going to sell the guns. You're going to sell the coins. You're going to exactly. do that first. Exactly. So that's where I kind of like am yeah. caught up with that. And I also just kind of believe uh, Lorraine Warren. And I don't know why. I, I just kind of believe her. I'm on her side. Yeah. <laughs> So if the only reason the Lutz family left the house was because of financial struggles, why would they leave the house before they even made their first mortgage payment is another thing. There was no guarantee that they would make the money to recoup their costs of even buying the house. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't have known the story would have blown up like it did. uh, There's no way anyone knew. No. True stories like this didn't happen. I mean, there was the exorcist before, but it wasn't like it was a hot commodity. No. The news cycle wasn't like 24 hours like it is now. There wasn't like, like right now, okay, if you think you want to like, go viral or do something like that like there's always that chance everybody thinks like maybe they can do it but I feel like back then it's like you weren't thinking that maybe you get yeah. a news and like a story in the paper and you'd be like oh wow but well, you wouldn't i mean the defeo murders were up. really big were, were a big thing obviously yeah. i mean it was entire family yes but just because you live there doesn't mean everyone's going to be interested and mm-hmm. i yeah i agree i'm the off chance that hopefully this goes viral before viral was a thing yeah if the Lutz family was experiencing everything they said, then I don't blame them for leaving abruptly. Honestly, every time I see a horror horror or paranormal movie, I think to myself, oh, I would have moved out immediately. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. Like, I'm it's gone. obviously not plausible for everyone, especially financially. It can be difficult to move. Yeah. But they did it. They were I mean, like, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can't. And they just left. Mm-hmm. Another weird thing. Nobody else has reported any crazy paranormal activity in the house since Let's family family left. Because they took it with them. And you say that. And that makes sense to me, too. I didn't think about that. But another thing. It makes sense to me that they wouldn't because it would only cause more publicity and more fluctuations on property value. Yep. The town was already really annoyed with the notoriety that the house was was bringing. Yeah. Maybe they're like... probably keep it a secret, too. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they hear things, but they're just like, nope, I don't see it. I don't hear it. And then... I feel like a lot of the times, like, okay, especially with, uh, what was his name, George, that lived there? He was into that stuff. So, like, if they heard footsteps, if they heard whispers, he's like, oh, oh bring it to me. You know, like, he's <laughs> yeah. doing his dances in the rain. Uh, You know, I don't know what he does. So, like, if they already have that stage set after everything has happened, the books happened, everything, you're moving in there, you just want to live and, like, keep the value in your home and everything, keep weirdos away, you're, you're just going to be like, oh, I didn't hear a whisper. It was the wind. Oh, I didn't hear footsteps. It was the dog, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like you would downplay it. And also for the town, if you went around, if if your kids went to school and was like, I heard a ghost, maybe the kids would be like, shut up. No, you didn't. Like maybe it's a big town secret that it's all like, hush, hush. To keep their town safe and normal. Yeah. For the most part. But that's conspiratorial. Very very much so. (laughs) Yeah, you took it on another level that I didn't even bring it it to. 
George and Kathy Lutz never retracted their story. And in all of their interviews, though they were insistent about that the story was completely real, there was always a bit of ambivalence on talking about it, which is something I'd expect from someone so shaken from something so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Even on their tours, they would go and they would be like, okay, we're here because we have to. But there was always this kind of reserve feeling yeah. kind of behind it. They, they were weren't like, like, okay, oh my God, we're let here me to tell talk. you all about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. There was, there, I mean, it didn't feel that way in a lot of their interviews. Yeah. They went to their graves still affirming that they experienced something vile in that home. Mm. Either way, whether the story told by George and Kathy is true or just a money grab, something absolutely evil happened in that home. And oh, yeah. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if there was something sinister lurking in the shadows after what was done. Whether, no, me neither. Whether it was the house previously had something within or not, there's definitely something there now. Like residual energy, that stayed. I I, I yeah. agree with that. I believe that. Maybe Butch DeFeo didn't kill his family because he heard voices. Maybe he was just a sociopath with substance abuse issues. But I do believe the Lutz family probably experienced some dark residual energy yeah. in the home after all the evil that happened there for sure. I agree. In the 1979 movie, James Brolin, as George says, houses don't have memories, but I think I disagree. I think houses and any space can have a memory, can be filled with residual energy that reflects the good or great evil that was done there. Monster house. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes, seriously, (laughs) seriously, no. But yes, I agree. I agree. That's like, ooh, well, I don't want to talk about it because we're going to do the Galveston episode, but like when we were... We walked around Galveston doing a ghost tour, but we'll get into that later. Just that that feeling, that vibe, it's the there. heaviness. The energy is there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're just wackos. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, what are you even talking about? Maybe you shouldn't be here because <laughs> this is how I feel. And this is facts to me. But I really do like energy is real. Mm-hmm. You can feel it if you're susceptible and you're not. If you're open to it. Yes. And I do believe that. That it can stay in that house, especially oh, yeah. something so terrible. Because mm-hmm. I know we're just talking about like ghosts and like if you believe it, but someone people really did die. Yeah, something really horrible Tragic. really did happen there, and I think that would stay. Mm-hmm. I agree. But that's what I've got for you on Amityville. This was a good one. I I like learning. I really enjoyed doing the research, not only because I got to read a book and watch the movies, and it was a good time, mm-hmm. but just learning about all this. <sighs> There's so much. And I want to get There's into so it now, like myself, after this, because do the research know. if you need to. There, there's so much out there. I had no idea it mm-hmm. was this deep. I was just like, ooh, hunting. Same. Movie. That's mm, so dark. Yeah. But very interesting. Well, that's what we've got for y'all today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen if you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear what you think. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment share if you feel compelled to do so yep. and you should be watching on youtube because we change our mugs and you'll want to see it because mm-hmm. i have a cute one you can also follow us on instagram at ghosties pod to keep up with what we've got going on if you have a creepy or supernatural encounter of your own we want to hear it Please. you can send us a dm on instagram or you can email us at ghostiespod at gmail.com maybe you'll hear your story in a future episode and even if you don't i still want to know agreed agreed so We're so excited to be going on this venture with all of you and we'll see you next Monday. Bye. Bye.